I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tananarie do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Fantastic. So, yay, here we are. I, I didn't even get my sound effects cued this week. I, <laughs> I'm so excited that about this week's guest, Rachel True. We will talk about her a, a little bit more. Can't wait to talk to her, actress and, and the author of a new book on tarot, which I don't know much about. So I'm in. I'm oh, I can't to, wait. Archetypes. Yeah, I'm planning Great. to learn a lot from this. But first, Steve, why don't we just talk about what's been going on? What's going on with you this week, my dear? Oh, well, I finally got my copies of my book. Yay! Yeah. Oh, I need um, to get Which is, you know, I've been working on this for 10, for, you know, trying to get it done for 10 years, and I'm very proud of it. And so, you know, it's, we've talked about it. It's, it's an exploration of Buddha's Eightfold Path to Enlightenment as expressed in horror, science fiction, fantasy, you know, stories, you know, as if they were in an old-fashioned EC comic book, but they have a serious intent. And Charles Johnson... Uh, who helped me with that? Just oh, I'm so I'm so grateful for the team around me. So I'm very very happy about that. 
we're still dealing with negotiations on one project and you said that you've just put the finishing touches on what was it a pilot it says a pilot this is now our second revision and we broke it wide open we came from a different direction to help establish more of what the series feels like in progress rather than i think treading water a little a little bit we had done yeah. in the previous draft so yeah we'll be turning that in today Today, Very I, you know, I think that my attitude was a little bit of shock and awe that every time you turn in a script, there should be something that the reader does not expect. You know, you don't just give them the things that you discussed. You give them a little something extra because you remember that the person who is reading your script is also having an experience of being having a story told to them. So it's. I think that we've really done that this time. You know, we there was a bunch of things that we did not discuss with them that I think are just going to knock them out. Surprise! Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes you work very closely with the executives. In this case, we decided to try the shock and awe approach. We'll let you know how that works out. That's right. Uh, yeah. We just actually finished an amazing meeting with our 18-year-old son every day. We're homeschooling our son, Jason, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts. And every day we have a school meeting where we go over the assignments that are due. We discuss the work he's done. Steve, I wish I had a time machine to go back just this one time, to go back three, four, one even year ago to let our past selves hear Jason discussing his economics assignment and brain function with us in the meeting today. Absolutely. It was you know, so there is, great. And, but here's the whole thing. The thing that's so beautiful. Okay, so so Jason was diagnosed ADHD and you know did the usual thing that everybody suggests. But at the beginning of the pandemic, we decided to make some changes that if we were gonna homeschool him, let me take a chance that there is within Jason that what we're getting is static on the line. It's not the signal, it's the static. And I thought, let's let's try it let's operate under the faith that the spirit that is our son is dying to get out of the definition he doesn't want to be defined in that way let's define him as someone who is about to evolve about to change about to come out and play let's assume that within him is a genius is just everything we could ever want because all he really wants is to know that his parents look at him with that kind of faith and love and he has blossomed amazingly and after he graduates, we want to set him up with a business and the business is going to be, he wants to be a coach. He said he wanted to be a coach. I've, I've done that a lot. It's been life coaching stuff. And he wants to do that. And I think that the perfect thing would be to him for him to coach ADHD kids and families with ADHD kids into excellence. The, and the title of a book course that I want to create for him or create with him or coach him into creating is from ADHD to A's. You yes. know, because that has been his journey. He now knows how to get A's when he when he wants to. Right. And it has been an amazing thing. And we're we want he wants to go to UCLA and get a PhD in psychology. Oh my God, knocked me out when I just, heard that last week. Just whether or not he does that, just the fact that he's articulating that kind of a dream is a big difference from where he it's was. Like huge. I said, even even a year ago. So and this is a special note to parents out there for any of your kids that are on the spectrum, you know, that I know about those behavior issues that will come up in elementary school, especially middle school. Just hang on. And hang remember, on. Have faith. You yes, that, that in terms of the hero's journey, 
There is this thing called the dark night of the soul that we have alluded to, that on every journey you're going to reach a point where it feels like you have run out of options, that you're at the end of your road, there's no way you can reach your goal. And that happens in every story, in every culture, everywhere in the world, because that is the elders of the village trying to warn you that when you're on your journey, you're going to get knocked on your butt. And what gets you back up is faith. And it's always faith in one of three things, faith in yourself, faith in your companions, or faith in a higher power. And for Jason, all he had to do is to believe in himself. And if he couldn't believe in himself, believe that his mom and his dad, who were there with him every single day, believed in him and love him, period. He is safe in the world. We're gonna, he's going to be safe now that you've got safe. We can forget about fear. How about thriving? And then believe that God made him to be a wonderful, contributing, loving, passionate, beautiful spirit. And if it, it doesn't matter which of those, but he had all three. Yes. And so we can get him through anything. So you're writing or you're creating or your art or whatever it is, when you're watching the next time you're watching a movie that you enjoy, look at the steps of the movie the way we talk about the steps of the hero's journey and know that you are on your own journey and we are with you every step of the way here on the Life Writing Podcast. There you go. That sounds great. Was you that know, tacky? No, it's not tacky. This is what we're about. This is what we're about. Hang in there, parents. Hang in there. That's all I can tell you. There, yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We've got so, such a great guest today. I do. really don't want to. I really don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. Okay, so we're not going to wait. Our guest today is now. Many of you know her as an actress, Rachel True. Of course, you know. So she was in The Craft and also as as Rochelle really the sole black cast member so a huge role model for a lot she of, was in our shutter episode yes yeah, she was she was in horror noir uh, horror the, noir the fugue state episode with malcolm barrett yes which, which we will so great talk about and also she's done a lot of other work in i mean going back way 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 back drew carey's show she's she was in half and half she's been in a, she's got some stuff coming up but really and we will talk about that we absolutely will talk about, but the, the, she also wants to talk about her book. And we're going to talk to her about her book on tarot, True Heart, Intuitive Tarot. It's a guidebook and a deck that she created. And now we get to invite her on the podcast, not as an actress, but as an author. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel True. Welcome. Good to see you. So glad you can make it. I love the applause. You <laughs> didn't know we had a studio audience. <laughs> first, first of all, I just want to say thank you both so much for having me on your podcast because I was saying this earlier. I'm lucky enough to have been able to say some of Tananarive's words, but I was a huge fan. So half the time I'm around these cats, I'm like, don't act like a fan. Fear <laughs> that you are. Um, because it's a joy as a performer when you get to work with or for around the people whose work you've read or respected or any of that. So also, I just love them as a couple. Come on, son. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, we... But there's so many weird, we've all been around couples where you're like, oh, I don't really want to go to dinner with them because they're kind of tense with each other. You guys are the opposite. You guys are fun and loving with each other. And 
listening to your intro, I realize I may be older than you, but I really want you guys to adopt me. <laughs> absolutely. We can absolutely adopt you. You, you know, like it's terrific parents who care. And that as a non-parent, that makes me super happy because you all are raising the next leaders and, and people yes. will shape. Our, yeah, our, our daughter, Tanana Reeves' stepdaughter, is, you know, running, is working in the human resources department down at UC, at, uh, UC San Diego and is just a joy. And Jason, our son, Jason, I love him so much. I, when, you know, when the first time I held him, I literally did the roots thing oh. and held, took him out in the yard and yeah. held him up to the sky and said, behold, the only thing greater than yourself. And I swore to God that day that I was going to deliver him safely to his adulthood. That yes. is my job as a parent, just to, to, to make sure he gets to the point where he can take care of himself. And that's, that's it. And I, it's, I, I love... I love the sharing part of the community. There are so many people who have helped us with him. So many people who gave us feedback and help and support. And the only way you can help them is to share it. So, you know, it's like, thank you. You know, you are a beautiful daughter of the spirit. And, yes. you know, whatever we can do to, to make sure that you blossom in, in the way that you know, if you could see yourself through our eyes, you'd be pretty hot, happy. Well, well, let me jump in and say, when I got to do the horror noir, maybe you didn't want to talk about that right now, but yeah, I can't no, help I, no, no, let it flow. Let it go. The horror noir episode that I did, I was lucky enough to be in the documentary, Horror Noir, which these uh, kids produced, and along with Ashley. And I was delighted to be in that, right? Because it was sort of an erudite, yet funny, fun take on horror movies. So if you haven't seen it, audience, you gotta go watch it. But when it came to the scripted show, as soon as I saw or saw the script, I went, oh, oh, it opens with a sexy, fun scene with this couple in the bathtub. And right, we're not, we're not 20, we're adults. And I thought, this is beautiful. This is what the world needs more of to see adults sexualized because there's a trope in Hollywood where you hit a certain age as a black actress and you are a desexualized civil servant. Right. Yes. Oh, and I'm so sure they'd be happy if you gained 50 pounds too. Yeah. Well, it's it's a weird thing because what you your job, that job, getting to say your words, your delicious words, and the thought-provoking subject of the episode was uh, was amazing. But also you saved me because, you know, Hollywood is very weird with women and age and they've been, you know, auditioning me for like grandma roles, which I could be, but here's the thing. I'm not the black grandma you're looking for. Have we? Yeah, you, better be a, you better be a sexy grandma lady. <laughs> it's just I a hot be, grandma, I could see. I could be a fun hip grandma if you're looking for her. I'm your, but if you're looking for black grandma on the couch, don't mm -mm. shove peg me into that yet so here was a part that was adults just being adults and having their life so thank you from the bottom of my heart for that no. well i we really appreciate it you were in our minds as we were uh working on it really so Which, by the way is like literally one of the biggest compliments an actor could have so thank you well let me give you another compliment you know that that I did a lot of work in Hollywood back in the 90s. And then I had a long period of time where I wasn't doing any for various family reasons. And then coming back in, I had a chance to work on The Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. But this piece that we did for Shudder was the maybe 
I'm thinking about it. I think it was the first time we ever had a chance to do a love scene. I ever had a chance to do a love scene. So I'm envisioning what you want is to leave room in the script for the actors. You know, that that Robert McKee, the great story structure guy, talked told me that actors don't act the text, they act the subtext. So you have to leave room and assume that the artists, the director, the actors, are artists just like you. Let them bring themselves to it. So the prayer is that if I leave room in these words, that our actors are going to bring something to it. It bring a and in, and in this particular case, it had to be a combination of of intelligence, sexuality, and love, so that we would be afraid for these people when this the, things go bad. The fertilizer hits the mix. <laughs> you you brought it. They were intelligent, smart people. There was no one on set going. You know what, Rachel, sass it up. Uh, damn it! Like seriously. So uh, you no actually you actually hear that me, stuff? No one's gonna call me not black enough. Uh, and that was kind of important. And I'm sure that's something you two have encountered. Oh my God! Of course, because you're educated Negroes. Yes, I mean, you know, seriously, you know, I, you know, I, there, there are. What made a difference for me being a pot-bellied, four-eyed nerd when I was in high school, who was just definitely not black enough, you know, getting a black belt from the Black Karate Federation, and my teacher was Louis Farrakhan's bodyguard. That's my bona fides. You know, it's like, okay, bring it. You know, you want to say I'm not black enough? Let me tell you. You know, it's, but it hurts because you want tribe. You want to belong somewhere. And if white people say you're not black enough, I have white people tell them, oh, you know, Steve, you're not one of them. You're one of us. What the <laughs> hell? What the hell? And have compliment people thought it was in the 80s. Yes. They no, thought that was a compliment. Not a compliment. Hey, Rachel, I, I want, oh, go on. I just wanted to say I wouldn't have been able to do such a fun job in horror noir if it wasn't for the great casting of Malcolm Barrett, right? Yes. So good. Terrific actor. He's so good and he's a generous actor on set because at a certain point I went, oh gosh, it's almost, it, this is like a two-person play for the most part. Yes. For a lot of it was just the two of us. But it really was. Pod and the other characters. And so, again, getting to act with a caring male lead who was also a weirdo. <laughs> it's really fun. That's so, that's so wonderful to I, hear. I, you know, and that's that's the answer to a writer's dream, is to turn their words over to someone they can trust. And as soon as I saw, as soon as I heard that you were doing it, I thought, yeah, yeah, that could work. That could work. Between you and, and me I... at the wall, I'm sharing this for other performers out there. So I had been involved in the documentary, and then there were a few episodes, and I had been asked to read for a much, much smaller old lady part. In a different horror noir episode, the woman really? was in her sixties, right, for that role. And I, my intuition now, I wouldn't have done this when I was younger, but I'm a grown up now, and I have other things going on. My intuition said, "No, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to pass on this smaller role." Good for you. Good for you. Because he's going to be that bold, right? But I went. I don't think this is my role. And then all of a sudden, uh, three weeks later, I get a straight offer on a much better bigger better part and i thought i'm so glad i listened to my well, listen well, while look, we look have you, you here you. one question i would like to ask of you is what advice would you give writers in terms oh. of writing something that an actor will want to perform 
Oh gosh, that's a good question. And, and listen, I feel woefully inadequate to say something to writers, you know, even though I've written a book because that's, you know, my struggle. But I think people just want an interesting character and it doesn't matter if it's a good character or an evil character, right? We just want something human to hook into that other people watching will relate to, even if they're unaware, that's part of their shadow side, right? Or their lower vibration or their higher vibration. So once again, you created well-rounded 3D characters. They were already there on the page. There There was very little that I had to do with horror noir, to be honest. But in general, we're just looking for things that aren't de rigueur or stereotypical, because at this point, I've already said half the lines that I see in a script. I've said them over and over and over in different jobs. Yes. And it's not as much of a turn on at this point. Like when I was 25, I'd be like, I don't care. I'll say the same thing over and over again. But as a grown up, I need to be turned on because I could just go do something else, frankly, <laughs> than keep repeating the same thing. But I want to ask you guys this because I need a little advice, right? I've written a book and I'm working on my next one. And I still, to this day, have trouble thinking of myself as a writer. In fact, when I'm not writing, when I'm, they say writers have the cleanest kitchens because we avoid writing, right? So I will do anything, but write. And then once I do actually, because I feel like a little bit of a fraud, that's the truth with writing. But once I sit down in front of the computer and actually start writing, I really enjoy it. And I know I'm okay at it and da, 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 da. But when I'm not writing, I'm like, well, you're an actor and you're not. And so I grapple with the same thing lots of humans do out there. Well, you're talking about the voices and I'm sure you recognize the sound of the voices from your maybe earlier days as an actor when you're, you're about to go into an audition and that voice is telling you you're not really an actor, right? (laughs) You know what? That's such a good point because up until yesterday, I probably felt that way about acting as well. That's the truth. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. And, and you know, all of this, uh, the ways we take care of ourselves, the ways that we talk ourselves into our magnificence is a part of what this, this podcast is all about. And when, as we're talking about that Horror Noir segment, which is called Fugue State, by the way, if, if people uh, haven't heard the name of the episode, it actually has the great Tony Todd in oh. it as a charismatic pastor. I, I, want, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I remember when we were DMing on Twitter back with all the excitement of the shoot, it was coming right out of the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. And you talked about not just the fact that it's, it's an opportunity to shine and have this great role, but just to be with people, you know? Yes. Yes. As much as I'm, um, you know, it's been interesting with the pandemic because I'm actually a very extroverted introvert. And so I can be like, one big and actory, but I need my alone time. I can literally sit and stare at a wall to decompress. So the pandemic was very hard on me. Don't get me wrong. And plenty of work went away and da, da, da. But I probably didn't suffer as much as some people because I enjoy my own company. Right. And always have. And so I would look at that part of the pandemic for people who really hated it too. It was a chance to get to know yourself because you can't escape your high vibe voice and the low vibe voice that says, you can't do it. You suck. Right. And then the other high vibe voice, because I know some people don't have an internal dialogue, but most of us do. And I spend, the truth is I spend most of my day. And this is why I wrote the tarot book because it was helpful for me in my process of remaining grounded and human, but I spend a good deal of my day negotiating with myself. Right. I hear the voice come in the negative one. And I'm pretty trained at this point to catch it and go, Oh, there's that negative voice. It's not even the truth. And I, I literally lob it away like a softball and replace it with something that is more neutral or more positive as a thought pattern. Because as I said to, I used to suffer from tremendous anxiety. I can still be very anxious, uptight person and all that. But I was talking to a friend who really leans into their anxiety. And I said, listen, neither one is real. The I suck. I'm terrible. I'm the worst person who ever lived. That's not real. Neither is. I'm the greatest person in the world. But, <laughs> right. But I'm, I said to them, why not lean into the one that works more for you? Neither one is real. So leaning into I'm all right as like, I'm never going to say you're the greatest person in the world, but I may go, you're doing all right. And you're trying your best. And I kind of silenced some of the voices with that. And then also working with my tarot practice. And I kind of love that I'm sitting here with two brown people who aren't like, hey, devil woman who no. made the tarot deck. No, not at all. Carl, not at all. Carl Young used tarot cards with his patients. They are simply paper cards, cardboard with images 
that hit us on a visceral level? Because I talk about this in my book, Steve, but um, two books I pulled down from my parents' library, and by library, I mean bookcase when I was a <laughs> child. I've been in foster care and then went to live with my dad and my new stepmom. And in the bookcase was Carl Jung's Man and His Symbols with that 70s cover that they had and Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. So I was taught to read it around four so I could read a little bit, right? But obviously I'm not reading these books. I'm probably more looking at the pictures, picking up a little things here and there. And I went, yeah, yeah, okay, this is interesting to me. And then cut to a few years later, a friend of my parents came over with a tarot deck and I went, wait a second. These are the same images that were in Man and His Symbols, a lot of these. And I kind of put it together that it was a language I could parse if I learned it. And the thing I want to say to any brown, black people who are like, I'm like, listen, there are so many biblical references in a tarot deck. It is not out of alignment with Christ consciousness. To me, it's simply a way to hear your higher self clear in a more clear way and then hear God's message clearer because I don't know about you all but I make some bad choices in my life and I have to reflect on those choices and say why did I do that and so using tarot when there's not a a therapist or someone around is terrific and lastly because I know I'm monologuing here but tarot is so good for working through your stuff so that you're not calling up your friends and vomiting your stuff on them and expecting them to live in the minutiae of your brain. Nobody wants to live in the minutiae of your brain any more than they want to hear your dream from last night. Trust me. So I'm not, I'm not going to veer too far away from the book because I am very excited to hear more about it, but I did read in an interview and I find it very interesting that you had came with this interest before oh. the craft, right? Oh, Cause that's a, a lot of people know you from there and it's like, Oh, well that was right down. No, and I guess that people would assume that I was interested, that, I, you know, it came after the craft or I was trying to just make a cash grab, frankly, based on some old movie. But the truth is it did start that young. And it's also a true story that the year before I got the craft script, so this is true, nine months before that script landed in my lap, my TV broke. Now, I only had like two channels, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to fix it because I love TV. I'm American. And then this little voice, my intuition came in and said, don't fix it. You're supposed to be doing something else, you procrastinator. And I went, all right, all right, all right. So I really delved into my tarot studies at that time. I had a bunch of decks, but I kept copious notes on readings and patterns. And, you know, just I just really took it seriously. And then that script landed in my lap. So if that's not prep work for that film without knowing it, right? That's what that was. So by the time that script landed and they weren't reading anyone black, I said, if anyone's going to be a witch in this town, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's beautiful. And and I love that intuition that made you pass on the earlier horror noir script before you got the one that was right for you and the intuition that took you to to what the craft and like Uh, any chance do you have a tarot deck sitting right there with you of course i do but i do want to jump in and say listen young actors young performers you don't actually want to pass on everything you do want to dig into your intuition on that because quite often i'm an intuitive person i can know when i'm reading for something that maybe it's not my job but i'm still going to read for it most of the time because those producers and those people and those directors are going to be doing other things so if i can do a good job in this audition and I don't get the part, I never know where it's gonna lead down the line. Now, I as a grown-up lady took that luxury just because I had a feeling and I'd been involved in the documentary and I thought, eh, I could do better. <laughs> you can and you will and you have. So yes, absolutely. But yes, Steve, of course I have a tarot 
Yeah, yeah I just thought maybe if you could show a couple of cards that just for people who are not familiar with tarot decks so they'd know exactly what you were talking about. Very good. So a tarot deck is 78 cards, 22, there's 78 cards in total. 22 of them, zero through 21, are major arcana cards. As you know, if you've worked with any, you know, theory of myth, this is the hero's journey. In a nutshell, the major arcana starts with the fool zero and ends with the world. It is literally the story of the major arcana and the archetypes, our human archetypes. And a lot of people, if you Google tarot movie and breakdown, uh, there is someone who did an exquisite breakdown of Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure and tarot cards and the hero's journey. You can do it with almost any script because I always find it interesting in a tarot deck we have the devil, which might be, uh, it means so much more than the Christian connotations, but it ain't great, right? But then a couple cards after that comes the tower, which is the dark night of the soul. You almost got the heads up with the devil. So here's one of my cards. This is the eight of wands, which is a card of intuition coming in and coming out and messages and things coming. I'm going to see if I can find a minute. So it's a head and, and what's visualized there for people who oh. are just listening? It's the head and... All right, if you're just listening, this is a head with uh, the brain broken up into segments. There's some kind of colorful things kind of behind the character. And then there are these rods because this is the eight of wands, which the wands are represented by wands. There are four suits in tarot, which correlate to earth, air, fire, water, and wands. It would be fire, would represent fire. So even though there's no fire on this card, this is about fiery, your thoughts manifesting into reality, information coming in quickly, you sending out information, kind of the way you can think about someone and then they'll call you out of the blue, right? That mm -hmm. kind of energy like that coming in and out. And let me find one more. I want to find a major arcana. For, here's my sun card. Now these follow the traditional Rider Waite Smith system of tarot, right? The so sun that, has an eyeball. Yeah, this one has a big sun. And if you can see, which you kind of can't see, but the, the rays of the sun are little hands. And um, I got that from an Egyptian motif. Underneath there's a pyramid, there's a nod to the Egyptian motif. And then just a really fertile, you know, plants and growth and life and lusciousness, which the sun all brings. But part of this card, right? which is a happy looking card. The sun, it's a major arcana. It says we're heralding like the day your pilot sells. That's a Sunday, right? You're happy. But also every card has a high and low vibe. So the high vibe of the sun card is things are great. Things are growing. Things are terrific. You feel fantastic. And the other side is because there's a low vibe, which is the sun encourages us to shine light on our own behavior. Because the one thing that people don't understand about getting a tarot reading is they want someone to solve all their problems or just tell them it's great. What people don't get is all it's going to do is give you a roadmap for the work you do on yourself. Ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like therapy, basically. I love it. But it is. I literally call it a shrink in a box um, yes. on the bottom of my thing. And I wanted to write the book, like I said, because... First of all, as an actress of a certain age, things had kind of slowed down. And I was like, well, I'm a creative person. I can, I gave myself the permission to do something else. And this sounds silly to kids today because you guys are like, we can do everything, which you can. And that's amazing. But my generation was like, you must get in the system before you can circumvent the system. You can't reinvent the system. So I just thought I'm an actor. That's all I am. I'm an actor. I'm an actor. And I do pat myself on the back for doing it without nepotism by the way, back in the day, because it, when I think back to the fact that I was just a kid who arrived here with no connections whatsoever, 
the fact that I worked is pretty, pretty cool. But once it slowed down, I was like, okay, what do I do? I'm still an actor and I love acting and I still love acting. But I thought this, in, I was frustrated, mad and sad, Steve, I'm sure you might've gone through different things with your own uh, career, right? And acting, you know, it's all crazy. But once I got over my ego, at the time, my this is the way things were supposed to be. And I thought I was gonna roll into another TV show once I mourned my ego. And then I was also dealing with a major health thing and my brother died and then oh, so sorry. his father killed himself. It was a lot mm. going on at the time. So I just, you know, went insular, which is what I tend to do. And I realized, okay, well, I still need to work and I still need to make a living. And I've always loved writing. So it was kind of a natural, fit to take a passion of mine, something that has helped me during the difficult times. So what's your specific, what is it that you brought to this that you'd never seen in any other book on tarot? That's such a good question because for everybody listening, when you're writing a book or a script or something, even if the themes are standard, you want to bring something a little different to the mix, don't you? What's the point? There's a million tarot books and decks. I didn't but I did have something different to bring, which was the way that I read. Most people, when they read tarot, right, they read up cards upright or that they can come out reversed in a deck, which simply means upside down. And that has a different meaning. And I thought I've never read that way. I've always just laid the cards out upright and used my intuition to determine whether that card was in low vibe, which is what I call it, or high vibe. I don't really do reversals. So the difference would be that. And in saying each card has a high and a low vibe. And we're going to look at it this way, because even the worst, even the terriblest cards, like, like, let's take the devil, right? That is a card in its worst sense of all the things being chained, addictions, you know, bad behaviors, da, 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 da. But in the best sense, because there is a high vibe. It's a bacchanalian good time, right? We can all have a little devilish good time without it destroying. So there's a, and it's a delicate balance. So I thought my take on having high and low vibe, not dealing with reversals was just a more, well, it was just my way of looking at things, but other people I talked to over the years had related to it. So again, I like that question because I wouldn't have written a tarot book if I didn't have something else to add. I also included in the book 22 to go along with the major arcana cards, 22 memoir essays. The hardest thing of publishing a book is seeing how they were truncated and hacked and edited, but that's a part of a first time book author's, you know, journey to go through is seeing. Uh, yes, I'm, there's I'm a whole lot to it. <laughs> I'm also grateful. Like I would encourage first time authors, whether it is fiction or nonfiction as I did to have an outside eye look at it. You know, I have someone edit it with me because if y'all keeps asking me to read your first drafts. <laughs> no, I tell my students, don't you dare turn I, your first draft into me. I don't, I don't want to see your first draft. I want to see your third draft. But he, I agree. And you're reading like the fourth draft of my book. Right. But I do find, cause I always, I have a lot of millennials and younger people who totally dig me and I'm not sure why I'm like, is it the hair? I don't know. <laughs> But I'm trying to in encourage and foster in them this sense of, yes, you did it. You, you did it. Now you don't get a trophy for that. You go back to the computer and you rewrite. And that's how it goes. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but they seem frustrated that it's almost like they equate, well, I did this thing. I should be famous now. 
Oh my gosh, yes. I hear that complaint uh, a lot from people in the industry uh, with younger actors, especially. Am I, am I famous yet? Am I famous yet? Am I famous yet? It's like, mm, okay, maybe you need to do this out of love for the craft and maybe yeah. the fame thing will come next. But I had a question, you know, thinking about- you'll know, when you'll know when you're famous. Yeah, you'll know. <laughs> and you might not like it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but in terms of writing and and- even embracing that part of yourself that is a writer. What kinds of writing have you done in your earlier life? Were you a, a journaler? Did you keep a diary? I did. I kept journals. I kept copious diaries that I still have. Most of them I have my first journal. I also was a journalism major for about a year in college until I went to, you know, it was like, ah, I don't want to do this. I want to be an actor. But I took writing very seriously. It's something that I've always uh, felt like was a way to express myself. And because of the book now, I'm getting the courage to veer into scripts and things like Oh, you're writing screenplays now? It seems like a natural progression to just sort of dip out into, you know, all the different areas that interest me. And having played many a character, I'm like, I think I know what a character wants. What I'm learning, though is even after all the years and things I've done, I'm learning structure and things like that. Because yeah, I was just thinking, I was just thinking that, that, you know, you have characters and structure in the sense of if there are two things to write about, who am I and what is true? Yes. Your characters are your view of humanity, but structure is your view of reality because structure is the way the world reacts to that character's efforts to gain their goal. Well, then maybe that's why I have trouble with structure, Steve, because I just feel like I live in, I, I always refer to myself as like a changeling time traveler, because I feel like time works differently for me and the way my brain works, like I can look up and months have passed, but it seems like a second to me. So like I'm lost in fairyland. <laughs> um, that's the truth. But I accept that about myself. But, you know, with the writing, I just want to say, too, when I first started the book, I sold the book. And then I was like, a nonfiction book. You don't have to have the whole book. You write a proposal. So I think I submitted a 60 to 80 page proposal, sold it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I have to write a book. I'm so freaked out. Right. Yeah, that's so I, pretty normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't touch it for like a month. You know, I was like, oh, I'll get to that later. And then once I started, I'd read that real writers write in the morning from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'm a night owl. I hate the morning. So I, you know, faffed around. I'm also not great with discipline. I know that's shocking to some of you. <laughs> anyway, I realized my best. I wrote that book between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning. And that was my jam. I love to write and I love the night because maybe I've dug into this in a psychological way. And I'm like, maybe it's because I know no one will bother me. I'll buy it. There are plenty right. of writers who do that. The, yes. the, the only thing that's consistent about writers is that they write. There is no time. There's no particular way. Some people plot in advance. Others just, just write it. Some people do it in the morning. Some people do it in the afternoon. Some people do it at two o'clock in the morning. It's well, you finished a book that makes you a writer and an author. Yeah, I, I love what you said earlier in your taglines uh, for this, this podcast, which is even if it's just one sentence a day. That's right? what we teach our students. If you can make a commitment, as a matter of fact, our life writing premium program that we will plug shamelessly at the end of this <laughs> is based on are you willing to if you're willing to write one sentence a day and you're willing to listen to one audio a week, we can guarantee you that by the end of a year, you're going to be a writer. And so, but the first thing is, can you, it doesn't have to be discipline. Discipline is often running away from pain, but it can also be moving towards something you love. 
you know, you don't have to discipline. I don't have to discipline myself to eat sushi. You know what I'm saying? But I eat it every week. So there it's, it's, it's regular, you know, so you can find something that you love and move toward it, something you're afraid of and move away from it or both at the same time, put your, your fear behind you, your love in front of you and run like hell, you know, so it just doesn't matter. Just what matters is, did you, did you do the work? Did you get it done? Did you tell the truth? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that I agree 100%. And hopefully that's something that you can take with you into your next project because you feel like you don't have discipline and your voices are trying to roadblock you, I'll call it, <laughs> and tell you that you are not a writer. If you're writing a sentence a day, it's A, it's a minimal investment. There's no way you can tell yourself you don't have time to write a sentence, but it's kind of a Jedi mind trick that you're playing on yourself because obviously you're not just going to write one sentence. But that's how I got back. Anytime I would get stuck with the book and get writer's block or whatever, I would go back to, okay, just one sentence then. There you go. And here's the whole thing. She intuited it. If a writer writes, and if one sentence a day puts you in the category of writer, and you logically can believe that, then when the voice says you're not a writer, you know that that voice is lying to you. And one one of the core secrets... One of the core secrets in meditation, one of the deep secrets, is to come to the realization that the voices in your head are not you. You are not the voices in your head. You are the one listening to the voices. Right. You are not the, the, because a lot of us have that anxiety voice and we think it's the truth of us. And I hear you, Steve. That is a voice. That's a voice. And you might ask yourself, whose voice is that? And you might realize it's the voice of a parent. Right. An ex-lover, a teacher, someone who said something positive that lifts you up or something negative trying to tear you down. And, yep. and and I would think that one of the one person who does tarot is talking about a way that they become ways to reify, to make more solid the symbols that you use to represent your relationships, your reality. And so you're taking the symbols out of your head and your heart and you're putting them on the table so you can see what your reaction to these things is depending on the meaning you gave to them. That's, so that's such a good point because a lot of people too with tarot cards, right? These are, I call them interpretations in my book because there are many interpretations Amen. of a card, of a thing, of a perception of something. Yeah. So where it's my interpretation for people listening. If you haven't listened to the podcast, these guys did with Brian Fuller, please do. First it was of so good. Amen introduced me to him and he is just a phenomenal human i just love that cat and um he's dropped some real gems on writing and i also like i'm drawn to him because this is a very successful showrunner kind of guy but he's still human and he's still kind and he's still thoughtful in the way that he talked on the podcast about speaking with fellow writers and how you want to encourage people rather than go no that's a shitty idea there's, he talks extensively about that. And I just, I, I he is a man, he's one of those people to, to me, creativity is staying in touch with that child self, the kid that you were when you first looked out at the world and asked, who am I? If you can bring that into your adult self and combine that with adult skills, you have an artist who can succeed at writing or acting, you know, working in Hollywood. So Brian's little boy is very much alive and we have the incredible honor of just playing games with his little boy. Yeah, and it's, it's such, I, when you meet people like that and they invite you to play with them, they're inviting you into their heart. Yeah. And, and, and they're rare. There's not, listen, Hollywood 
it's where I've been for a long time and I love being a performer and I love being in this business. The fiber of me as an artist, that's the truth. And I finally say that now I'm an artist. But Hollywood is also rampant with smoke and mirrors and narcissism and a million pitfalls, devil card, tarot card energy that we can get trapped in our ego and our hubris and all those things. So when we encounter someone like you two, or Brian, we're like, no, I'm, I'm not letting go of those people because they're the real deal because they give me hope that you can, can continue in this business and still remain connected to our fellow human beings. None of us are better than because you've got successful books or I've been on a TV show that doesn't make me better than. It no, makes- we're all on the same path. Yeah, Absolutely. Makes- and it's just a str- That's what it makes me, a goofy ham. And yeah. I'm lucky that I have an outlet to express those sides of myself. In fact, this last week at work, the director was really nice. And when I was like, thanks, thanks for everything. He was like, you know, you're a, you're a very unusual girl in the things you say. And I said, you know, because I'm a grown up, I said, I know I'm weird. And he said, he said, I, I wouldn't have used those words. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I love my weird. My weird's funny. My weird works for me. If I don't love my weird, who will? Embrace your weird. But, but you know, this is a great transition because last week, Steve and I did a podcast about our Hollywood horror story. <laughs> and you might just want to give it a little thought before you say anything but I'm we can bleep anything that you if you accidentally say you don't want to say a specific name we'll take it out but we'll we would out. love to hear people believe that if you're successful you haven't had challenges and that is just the opposite of what the truth is so would you please share with us some of the <laughs> ugliness and, and not just in a gossipy way but also although that's fine but also how did you overcome it like, listen, I still want to work as an actor. So. I know. Exactly. I know. That's what I say all the time. I'm still trying to work in this town. So I know. So it's kind of tricky. What I will say is for me, there was just sort of a pervasive feeling. Because again, the 90s, we were coming out of the 80s, right? Which black people made a lot of strides in entertainment and things like that. Not necessarily power positions in terms of politics and things. But it was also Reaganism and terrible, right? So I was really excited for the 90s. I was like, I am Gen X grunge. But there was still this pervasive thing. Like I mentioned earlier, I heard constantly, sassier, sassier, which is code for blacker, right? Mm. My thing was like, why are you testing me then for this role? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I bring to the table? And it's not that. And, it, and listen, an actor should be able to do every kind of role. But the truth is, for me in the early 90s, I looked at it and I went, our movies are so separate. It's either Boys in the Hood or there's a white teen movie that I can't be in, like a John Hughes thing I'll never get read for. Lisa Bonet had a really interesting article back in the day, way back in the day, an interview about the shade she got just trying to get in for a John Hughes movie. So for me at the time in the 90s, I went, you know, there's so many girls who truly are that character from straight out of Brooklyn and I'm not. So I'm I'm gonna lean into, I wanted to show people that you could speak in a certain patois, right? And, or you could have curly hair and still be black. Like the tweet I put up, just cause someone don't black like you don't mean they're not black, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So all of those things went into my decisions, but so rather than one specific horror story, what I will say is the thing that has been a drag for me in terms of Toto's career was no matter what I did, I would always go back and my agents or the team would be like, that was just shit. So that was just a shit project. So you're a little stupid sitcom or you're a little stupid this or everything I did was like stupid in their eyes, right? So I just kind of thought, I felt belittled. 
and made small by those comments. And my old agent used to, I don't know, I have a manager now, I don't even have an agent, but my old, because no one wants to take a risk on a middle-aged actress. But my mm. agent always used this phrase, uh, they have stronger choices. And I remember saying to him one day, please stop that because that is implying I'm weak. And I understand they I'm not in the test group or I'm not in the elite five who are going forward, but that doesn't mean I sucked. I didn't do a good job. It just meant I'm not one of their choices for this for a million reasons. That could be the look in my eye, my eyebrow. It doesn't, it's so subjective. So he didn't, he continued with that. But I would say there was that, you know, and I, I realized the people who are in the serious A-level thing, there's such a small infinitesimal group, right? There's seven of them. I'm going to spend my entire career beating myself up because I'm good at comedy and have fun doing it. No, I, I think there was merit to each and every job, whether it's silly and silly uh, or not. So I didn't like that. I didn't like being considered, you know, not black enough when I was around my black peers. Hollywood actors, you know, there's a lot of ego involved in that. And I never really liked that side of the game, the way we shade each other and the way we're kind of, we're always cloying for position. And my thing is like, you know, if there's that lead, follow, get out of the way. I can be a leader for sure. But most of the time I'm a fuck off over there and let you all battle it out by yourselves because I don't care. So it's always been a little bit of a struggle for me in Hollywood playing that game. I don't love going to premieres. I do love clothes and girly things, but I don't always like having to do it on cue. And so it's a whole game. And I'm glad that, you know, I have the outlet of writing a book, but also the luxury of still getting on a TV show last week, like I did. It makes it a little less stressful for me because I, you know, I was talking with a young girl on the show I did last week and I said, you know, I guess I wish I'd enjoyed myself more when I was your age and on a sitcom or whatever. I just wish I'd leaned into the fun of it all a little bit more. This is silly. We literally get to be silly for a living. This is super fun. And then the other thing, just to say, being an, an intuitive person, my next book is about empaths, right? Uh, because quite often as an empath or an intuitive person, I will pick up on like the one thing and I'll innocently say it, not even knowing I'm picking up on the one thing that person doesn't want to say or think of. So, you know, all of that was very, even like I'm writing about this now, but even last week I said to someone, oh gosh, I love this show. It's so fun. We get to be so silly and be fun. And then literally an hour later, some, the person came over and said, this one says we're silly and we're just silly. And I, a million thoughts went through in a millisecond, right? Because I was like, oh God, I meant to, I was complimenting them, like the sacred fool of acting. And, but I'm an empath enough to know that, okay, I triggered this person actually. And it wasn't on purpose, but they are triggered and they're having some feelings right now. So instead of leaning into my old Scorpio Rachel, where I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, I just said, oh, I'm sorry, I silly a bad word. I meant fun, like the way we get to be fun here, you know, because that's my truth. But I also am bringing stuff like that up because those kind of power plays and things happen all day long on a set. All day long, you are stepping in landmines. And frankly, I think there's a lot of passive aggressiveness on acting sets, right? Because you can't do something directly. So everyone gets passive aggressive. And then if you're in that box, meaning you're in that set and you're in that for a while, you start to, that starts to play out in your real life. You start to do those same things and you're really like being more passive aggressive. Da, da, da. 
So my thing is just being aware that I have an ego and I can be triggered. I didn't mean to trigger that person, but you know, that's life and how we can maneuver through all these little landmines without then taking it on and going home and going, you're an asshole. You're shameful. You're shameful, Rachel, for, for inadvertently making someone uncomfortable. I like to forgive myself for um, my trespasses. I can so relate wow. to that. Oh my gosh. Because one thing I have learned in the pandemic is, or remembered when I venture outside is that I'm a little bit socially awkward. Okay. I discussed that last week. One of my, I was before I'm a very socially awkward person to begin with. Were you before you seem pretty confident? No, I'm telling you, I will say, listen to the last the podcast we're about to put on Sunday. I, I will say something outrageous for like, not thinking first or, or really self-conscious. Or I, I remember even with Brian, like the first, one of the first times we saw him after the vaccinations, I wanted to take a selfie and I was asking him to take off his mask. And later on, I was just like, why were you pressuring him to take off his mask? That is not cool. People will take off their mask if they're comfortable. Call that voice, by the way, the one that's Sorry? like, what do you call, what do you call that voice, by the way, the one that says you did wrong today. It just sounds like me. That's the problem. <laughs> Right, 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 right. So I wanted to ask you, because you were, you're a hit in the documentary Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, because, of, you know, you talk about being the sassy best friend. Are you okay? Are you okay? You're one of the few memes out of Horror Noir. <laughs> I am a meme from that, actually. You're a meme. So in what ways do you think that Hollywood has changed for the better? Like if you were the same age coming to Hollywood now, oh, wow. how would it, might it be different? Oh gosh, I think it would be really different. There's so many more opportunities now. Now, of course, we still have a very long way to go. I'm not here sitting saying we've solved everything because we got a black showrunner here or there, not at all. But things have changed. Like, for example, you know, when I was doing the craft, I wasn't included on the publicity junket. That would just never happen today. They would never oh. invite the black character because, of course, I felt shame. When I wasn't invited on the junket, I thought I must be terrible in this movie. I didn't understand that they were like, this movie ain't gonna play in black neighborhoods. So we're not gonna bother because it's all dollars and cents, right? It all comes down to that. So things like that. And then, you know, not having my white peers in the movie understand. They were like, well, we're just more famous. You know, speaking of ego, which, you know, they were, but at the same time, they couldn't take in like, I'm on the poster. Or you're in the movie more, you know, I mean, come on. And I'm in the movie or, you know, when I mouthed off a couple of years ago about not being included in the, uh, the signing conventions, the horror conventions. Now, I don't have to be invited everywhere, that's for sure. But even at that time, and it's 20 years later, I was surprised that a couple of the other girls in the movie were like, oh, no, Rachel, it's, it's not a craft reunion. I'm there for this and she's there for that and we're there for that. And I was like, I know. <laughs> it's not stupid. But we've not all been together in 20 something years. This would be. The first reunion and the fact that this convention is like we don't need it i that's why i decided to put my foot down because i thought you may not need it or not but we all did three times as much when yeah i think that one of the things that has to come out there is that we know that racism factors into some of these instances however in any instance that you point at people have a perfectly good explanation for why it's not racism well, but yet and still it's there. So it leads you to that question. If people are going to deny that it's racism every single time, but we know that racism is there, then how do you deal 
with this? How am I supposed to think about this? No one will ever cop to it. Well, don't you but, think- it, we, we, but we know it's there. I tell my white friends, like, you got to talk to your friends. I, I, I can't. Nothing I say is a brown person is going to land. So it's right. up to you at the dinner parties and you to do that with your white relatives and other friends. That's the truth on that one. But it is, it is, it is, it is always mind-blowing to me that something super clearly racist can happen and people go, why? Why? Like, people kept saying, well, why? I don't understand. Why wouldn't they want you at the convention? And I said, I don't know. Why do you think? <laughs> oh my God. So I guess my way of dealing with it, Steve, is to be an asshole. <laughs> well, I, no, I think you deal with it by laughing because if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. No, I, exactly. And I do think a sense of humor is super important. I mean, what, you know, I think the first time I'd been together with all the craft girls, like maybe seven years ago, Robin Tunney leaned over and said, oh, when Nev says you're not working right now, why don't you just get an assistant role? We have one on our show. And she met Anjanou Ellis and, you know, an mm. award-winning actress whose name she didn't even say, who is a Tony and da-da-da-da-da. And she's like, we have one on our show. So casual racism. I don't, I'm not saying the girl meant it that way, but she's from Chicago and Irish. I don't know her. So my thing is, I just... I do this thing with uh, people like that, that my a shrink taught me a long time ago, which is to say nothing when someone says something really stupid. When you bring it home and you're feeling stressed, on the times when you are feeling stressed, what do you do to rebalance yourself, to, to, to get your center? What, what techniques can you offer our listeners to help them when they're feeling stressed and they want to, you know, well, I'm a bitch. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's sometimes you just want to strangle somebody. And so beyond watching television, Steve, I think it's what you're asking here. And yes. I've myself. But what I do is, first of all, I think of tarot as self-care, right? That's therapy, basically. It's therapy you can do on yourself. And it's really inexpensive. You know, the book set is under, my book set is under 30 bucks, or you can get anyone. I, I want you to do anything but give uh, YouTube tarot readers all your money. Learn Did to- you design your tar- those tarot cards? Huh? Is that no. your design on the tarot cards? I Excellent. Not- you should have said that specifically. That's wonderful. I designed the tarot cards, but an artist, I worked with an artist who drew yeah. them. So other things I do, breathing techniques. Can you give us one? Well, I think even if you're in your car, like I can get triggered real easily. I'm a Scorpio, right? So number one thing to do is long breath in through the nose, out through the mouth is one of the most grounding things you can do. The other thing I will do I don't often admit this because it's kind of embarrassing, but it's true. Like if you're really in an anxiety spin, now granted, if that's a serious condition, this this may not help, but for most of us who aren't always in one, but we hit one, I will ground myself. I literally, you have to switch the narrative in your head. So if the narrative is, oh my God, you're such an idiot, you are Akbar. I will put my hand on the thing. This is the kitchen counter. I am standing in the kitchen. My hand is on the kitchen counter. I am literally bringing myself back down to out of the stratosphere, centering myself in my body. And then I am doing the breathing techniques that I am talking about. I am also big on replacing the thought. Again, if the thought is, I said the stupidest thing in the world, it's you know, I release that thought. I send that away. I go, that's, that's the lower self speaking. That's the devil. If you're a Christian, right? Devil's dragging us down. I release that thought. And I say, I am trying to do my best. I am doing my best. So I don't replace it with a thought that's bullshit. Like I'm great. Cause I'm not feeling great in that moment. 
but I'm doing my best. That resonates as truthful, even if it's not up to your standards. Where can people connect with you and find your book and, you know, find out more about the wonderful Rachel True? I'm mostly on, I, you know what, I'm trying to join the TikTok, but Jesus, I'm old. When you figure it out, let me know. Okay. That's all I can say. I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there. I'm active in my stories. And then I'm on Twitter as well, but mostly I'm, I'm being quiet these days off social. I'm not really on there as much trying to focus on my book. And then I'm saving up for a camera package, you guys, because I want to make my own film, but I very much want my own equipment. It's just something important to me to have so I can shoot it, do do a scene at 2am in the morning if I so feel inspired because I want to. I, the idea of directing something I have written. I'm stepping who I've always wanted to be, I would say. And I'm encouraging people to do it younger than my mid-age. You know, it took me this many years to be like, wait a second, Rachel, you can do this. <laughs> this is the way I talk to myself, by the way, Steve. And the other things, just to lastly round out how do I calm myself down, different ways, different practices. I want to write about taking a transcendental meditation course for the next book. I will try many ways because I understand that I am in control of my thoughts. They are not in control of me. And it is only the time where I let that lower self take over that I go, yeah, you are, you are shit. You are a shitty actor and you're a shitty this and you're, you're stupid and you shouldn't even try. Like those thoughts come in even my mind. Some of you were listening going, really though? Yes, really though, because I'm a human being having a very human experience. Beautiful. So much. You've said so much, just so much gold. Thank you. so much for that rachel and go ahead i was just gonna say i believe in you you will be that director the fact you've just put it out in the universe and then you you're making the taking the steps you need along the way to make it happen that's literally the roadmap to to making your dreams come true so yes as an actor you should all actors I'm, i'm talking to all of you don't wait for the right script Learn to write and write the right script, right? Um, you might not be able to get it made, but you might make it yourself. Well, lastly, and I just, I know we're a little over time, but I want to round this out with when I was in eighth grade and we moved to a new all-white school in upstate New York. Thanks, white dad. I joined the theater company because they'd only done musicals. And I said, hey, let's do the Miracle Worker. My stepmother had just done the play in an arena stage. And anyway, long story short, we started it. And they were like, you're going to be the 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 servant girl. And I was like, I'm a blind girl. That's what I am. I'm not Helen Keller or, or where I get that, but I'm one of the blind girls. Cause I'd seen the play and once anyway, and they said, no, you're the, you're the maid. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm blind girl. And they said, no, you're the maid. And I quit. And I went home to my stepmother and I said, you know, I get it. I'm going to have to write my own roles, I guess, if I want to play the characters I want to play. And I add that in to say that, like, I'm hoping things are different for the younger generation. But the truth is racism and being defined by my Blackness really did have an impact on the way I think and my career. And by the way, I love it. Look at my karma. I love my color. I love my hair. There are a lot of things about being Black in America I love, right? But I don't like how, and, and again, having a white dad, I have an interesting perspective on this, but I do not like the way we are treated. And I love that the new generations are breaking past some of that. And they are able to create their own systems now outside of the norm. And um, that excites me. And that's something I hope will stay with me and keep me young because I don't want to turn into get off my lawn. I want to understand because when people my age come to me and confide, like, I really hate this, they, them. And I'm like, what's the big deal? 
who cares? So what? Who cares? They want to be like, great. No problem. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I'll call you whatever you want. Like it doesn't bother me. So I'm trying to keep up with that stuff. And I know that you guys are too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and we actually suggest that writers take acting classes Absolutely. because to, you know, because I think that, that being able to write something from the inside out, from the position of how does this person feel and what, and, and looking for the subtext it is, is part of what it is that we try to do in, you know, pivoting to talking about our program, the Life Writing Premium program. We're into finding a way to express your truth in this particular way, which is which is writing. But the fact is that acting or sculpting or painting or anything else is just another expression of that art, different elements of craft. So, you know, we've already said that our thing is that if you're willing to write a sentence a day, if you can commit to that and listening to one audio a week, and we go a lot deeper than that, but that's the beginning level. If you can do that at the end of a year, our program is, is 52 weeks of instruction. Oh, and wow. it is, you know, we've, we've packed everything that we know about not just how to write, but how to be a writer, the, the, the life how to do that and not go crazy. T, say, say something here. Whether you are, we had N.K. Jemison on the show earlier and she expressed burnout. So whether you are an experienced, published, maybe multiple published writer who, who is looking for inspiration or a new writer transitioning from acting, transitioning from your day job, whatever it is, the Life Writing Premium course is for writers of all levels. And it covers the gamut from writing prose. We, we, we like short stories for people who are just starting out. Scripts, if you're writing scripts, short scripts, if you're starting out. We and we like do a monthly reading uh, where we analyze one piece of work from one of our students on Wait, a Zoom call. That's very fortunate to have yes. you look at your work. We actually, <laughs> we, we no longer can do this for clients per se, but we Personally. can do it for the group. We can do one or two stories a month for the group yes. uh, to, so they can learn how to critique it for themselves. And it's at <gasps> www.lifewritingpremium.com. It's a monthly program. It's very reasonable. And we really care about artists and writers. We really do love having an artistic lifestyle and we're sharing all the pieces of that that we, that we know how to do. I and I just, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just thought of something, Rachel. Fugue State, the short story that we adapted for Shudder in Horror Noir, started out as a life writing oh. Zoom. Basically, we were meeting with students. We had them throw out story areas. And out of that, and then we wrote the story on a Google Doc. And gave them that... links to it. They actually saw us developing the story. Then we polished it. Then we sold it. We then we sold it to sell. AMC and converted <laughs> it. So every step of this was a matter of we're trying desperately to teach how to do this because we're we we love this. We're on fire yeah. with this thing. One of the hardest things, one of the things that I thought would be so easy with writing was getting my voice, my particular voice on the page. And yet it wasn't as easy as I thought, right? It's not like speaking. You can't just record some shit and hope it turns into a book. So I would encourage, you really can't, trust me. So I would encourage people to consider taking this course because crafting this and having a companion while I was writing would have been the most helpful thing. And it sounds like Absolutely. you guys are- We We just, thank you so much. You know, we would hope that, you know, when you've done your next book, 
would you come on again and talk to us about it? Oh, yes, of course, because, and and just to wrap it up, one of the things I loved about Fugue State that we kind of blew over was it is a lovely observation on religion as well, you know, and as Black people, it's a sticky wicket, right, religion, so they've layered in so many things to Fugue State that I probably, I'm going to join their class, because no matter what, I've only written one book, and one thing I know about life is I'm in a constant state of becoming. Well, here's what I can promise you, if you join Life Writing Premium, I will. a chunk of, of the script that you're working on, and you know, and and we will we'll we will just we would just love to help you see how we think about these things. How we think about this is as flawed, you know, with it's partial, but it's it's legitimate, and hopefully, it will help you and, our, and those listening evolve your own way of doing this. By the way, I'm like everyone, where I'm scared and nervous to say. Yes. Out. just like I am about an audition I'm the same way and but I love the idea of writing especially as I continue on because I'm not judged by the my face or the size of my right. there it, you go so. but I for, for you know, I could say that if you were judged that way I would expect you to to excel in any arena if that if those were the judgments my dear <laughs> it's tough being an actor it's tough being a creative person and yet I wouldn't want to be anything else to be understood honest. Good for you. Good so for you. And we're people like you. Again, I'm I'm so lucky. You know, not every actor gets to work with writers they respect. Like I started off this podcast saying. So again, thank you for letting me portray your surrogate. You. You. You're <laughs> very welcome. So happy to have hosted you on the podcast. Your energy and your fire are going to mean so much to so many listeners. And it's www.lifewritingpremium.com if you want to join the course. Otherwise, go on, write a sentence a day, and be the hero or heroine of your own story. Be the hero of the adventure of your lifetime. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.